You're listening to Presscast. This is episode 21. Beirut was declared a disaster city. The footage of the destruction of Beirut port has shocked the world. A massive blast ripped through the port in Lebanon's capital Beirut. The blast damaged buildings across a country grimly familiar with upheaval, but never at this level. With every hour passing, we were logically supposed to fathom what happened and adapt. It is not happening. With every passing hour, we drown in more pain and more shock. We look around in a wave of silence with no answers. Our children who were traumatized ask us, what happened? We have no answer. We just look into their innocent eyes and see the mushroom cloud rising all over again in their pupils. Then after a few seconds of silence, we reply, an explosion. Officials have said it was caused by the detonation of chemicals stored there without saying whether it was an accident or an attack. The tragedy piles yet another layer of hardship on my country, which is already reeling from the worst financial crisis in its history. The calamity is the worst Lebanon has suffered in decades, and citizens already fed up with government mismanagement are furious that the blast was set off by an improperly stored cache of 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate, which is equal to 1,800 tons of TNT. Corruption and nepotism is my country's disease. The irresponsible behavior of the ruling 1% first ripped us off, then killed us. They killed us. Whether an accident or an attack, Lebanese politicians killed us. I am in mourning. To discuss this issue with us from Beirut is Dr. Jamal Wakim University. Professor, thank you for being with us, Dr. Jamal, and I hope you. you and your family are well after this catastrophic tragedy. Thank God. Uh, 2,750 tons of ammonia, uh, confiscated ammonia nitrate uh, were hoarded between the years of 2013 and 2014 at Beirut's port number 12. Yeah. Uh, they were impacted with a spark of fire. This is the official uh, scenario, produced what possibly is the largest chemical explosion after Nagasaki. Mm -hmm. Who is to blame and why are the Persian Gulf media outlets repeating the word Hezbollah every time they want to talk about the Beirut explosion? 
Well, uh, uh, with regards to storing uh, these uh, risky materials, I believe that it was out of neglect, uh, negligence, and of course uh, uh, corruption, because it seems that officials in the state uh, each was trying to sell this material to uh, one side or another favorite to, uh, to, to him. So uh, that's uh, one uh, factor which kept this uh, risky material in the uh, port. Uh, of course, uh, in uh, ill uh, conditions, but uh, there could be also uh, a possibility of a perpetrator who ignited uh, uh, the fire, uh, especially that the port is not well secured and uh, it could be easily infiltrated from outside. You mean anyone so could have walked in? I, uh, there is a possibility, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, especially with the internet division in Lebanon and with uh, people uh, divided in their loyalties and their affiliations. Mm -hmm. So, this is a possibility. Why the Gulf media is trying to blame Hezbollah? Because I believe that it's uh, it's not only the Gulf media, but it's also uh, Western media mm -hmm. that is trying to lay the blame on uh, um, Hezbollah because the West mainly and its uh, Lebanese allies uh, are trying to capitalize on the event in order to uh, call for uh, international uh, uh, mandate over the port mm -hmm. and the airport and uh, under the the a claim of uh, um, uh, neutrality on one hand and on uh, corruption of any local uh, investigative uh, team that could handle the case uh, that they don't have trust in, in any local uh, team. So uh, I believe that uh, they are trying to capitalize on this in order to put the port and the airport under uh, international and let's say control and it was also coupled by attempts to uh, shift the role of the UNIFIL in Lebanon in order to give it uh, prerogatives of acting and uh, uh, not as a peacekeeping force but rather as an occupying force that mm -hmm. would uh, protect the borders on behalf of the Israeli entity. So well, all these attempts come uh, hand in hand. I believe that there are uh, attempts to uh, benefit uh, from the West to benefit from Dr. the occasion. Joaquim, the, the damaged port also wiped out the grain uh, silos. Lebanon imports 80 mm. to 90 percent of its grain and yeah. they're destroyed. Mm. And if uh, not the only lifeline for importing during a sanctions aggravated currency crisis mm. with the lira plummeting from 1,500 Lebanese lira for the dollar to 10,000 Lebanese lira yeah. to the dollar, uh, they are leaving essential shortages throughout the country. How will the Lebanese government fix it if they can actually fix it? Well, uh, according to officials, there would be no grain shortage because most of the grain was already distributed to outlets on one hand, and uh, there are other silos uh, in uh, Tripoli, for example, uh, in addition to shipments coming, uh, not to mention uh, or uh, not to forget about the uh, aid coming from uh, uh, friendly countries, uh, including Would it be Iran, enough to fix Qatar, the port? 
fixing the port is another thing, but uh, there would be no shortage of uh, mm -hmm. uh, wheat in, in the country. Well, uh, the Lebanese government decided to place uh, Beirut port officials under house arrest. Now, mm. what about the four ministers that took turn uh, at the Ministry of Public Works and Transport over the course of the past yeah. six years? Yeah. And the judges who actually allowed this case to disappear, what about them? Well, uh, uh, putting uh, uh, first, it's not legal to put people under house arrest. Either they are in prison or uh, tried in prison or they are free to go. So uh, this is, uh, uh, I believe, a legal blasphemy. Uh, uh, with, uh, and uh, limiting it to uh, employees and officials at the port is uh, to spare the ministers, successive ministers since 2014, including Ghazil Aridi, the Prosian blood minister who decided to uh, empty the uh, shipment, the shipment uh, into poor uh, of Beirut, and of course the successive not only ministers uh, but also uh, prime ministers who uh, didn't take action. Uh, uh, so I believe that they uh, it was an attempt to spare them from being tried or sued or even uh, indicted for, for the act and for the incident. 137 people died and 5,000 injured and they mm. still want to save their masters? Well, uh, too bad uh, our uh, officials now, our leaders now are the former, uh, well, warlords who were responsible of 200,000 people killed during the civil war. So another 140 people would not make a big difference for them. Too wow. bad. Well, the disaster completes the U.S. economic sanctions against Lebanon, mm. whether these sanctions were direct or, or indirect by uh, uh, targeting Syria itself, which were designed to pressure the Lebanese people to face off with the resistance in Lebanon, mm. which is the biggest enemy for the Zionist entity in the region. Yeah. How will the resistance, do you think, how, how will they face this new challenge, uh, especially that this Friday, uh, August uh, mm. 7, uh, was designated as the date in which the Special Tribunal for Lebanon was supposed to uh, pronounce mm. uh, its sentence for the murder of uh, former Prime Minister Rafi al-Hariri, but it mm. was delayed because of the tragedy that struck, uh, uh, that struck Lebanon. Mm. Uh, how do you think this new challenge will be faced by the resistance? Well, this is something to be asked, uh, that the resistance should be asked of, but uh, how they expect them uh, to have acted since the early crisis, I believe that the problem is that the, uh, uh, let's say, uh, the resistance and its allies are not determined on one uh, unified policy. They are unified by their anti-American, let's say, agenda, but they don't have an agenda of their own uh, with regards to uh, drawing uh, relations with um, alternative uh, regional and international powers and uh, they don't have an alternative economic policy to face the American uh, pressures. I believe, uh, too bad, I believe that they are trying to gain uh, time until a change in uh, uh, policy in the United States would occur after the elections. Mm -hmm. But I don't know to what extent the people in Lebanon could uh, withstand uh, this dire situation um, for another three months. 
Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Jamal Wakim, University thank Professor, you. for being with us to talk about this uh, national catastrophe in Lebanon. And now, please stay tuned for more uh, about this matter, how this explosion will affect the Lebanese economy in the next segment. The majority of Lebanese people put the blame squarely on the political elite and the corruption and mismanagement for the Beirut explosion on August 4th. However, only the U.S.-backed politicians in Lebanon began parroting from the first hour of the blast that Hezbollah is to blame for this disaster and sent in protesters that same week to start riots in the capital while hundreds were still missing and thousands remain in hospitals getting treated as hundreds were laid for their final rest. To discuss this issue with us from Beirut is Mr. Man Bashur, former Secretary General of the Arab National Congress. Thank you very much for being with us. Mr. Bashur, now condolences for uh, the horrific uh, incident in Beirut and uh, the blast that we had. It's the biggest non-nuclear blast on earth. We had destruction, we had agony, missing and displaced people, hundreds of martyrs, thousands of wounded uh, victims. Then we had fingers being pointed at the only party that we know has nothing to do with port of Beirut, which is Hezbollah. What happened there? Uh, first of all, thank you very much for your invitation. Thank you for your condolences. I think uh, Hezbollah was for many years the main target of the Western forces uh, that are supporting Israel in its uh, war with the Arabs, with the Lebanese, with the Palestinians, with everybody. And they are trying all the ways in order to uh, weaken the Lebanese resistance uh, represented by Hezbollah. That's anything would happen in Lebanon that the Lebanese don't like or that the Lebanese are hurt because of it, they are going to say Hezbollah is behind it. And from the first moment of this uh, explosion, we noticed that some of the media, Lebanese media, Arab media, tried to accuse Hezbollah without any investigation, without anything that would uh, help them in their allegations. So I think this is a political battle using a human catastrophe uh, to, to put it in front of the Lebanese resistance. Uh, this is uh, as you know, Lebanon is under blockade, Lebanon is under siege. Why? Because Lebanon doesn't want to uh, weaken his resistance, because the Lebanese resistance, represented by Hezbollah, is one of the main forces that uh, Lebanon depends on in defending its sovereignty, and defending its resources, and defending its independence. But they want us to get rid of Hezbollah in order that Lebanon would be another portrait uh, in the hands of Israel and in the hands of the supporters of Israel. And uh, they are using this explosion to, in order to uh, help their plan to get rid of the Lebanese resistance. 
Sebeshur, uh, the managers of the port who gave orders to store the uh, ammonium nitrate shipment and then keep it there for the past six years uh, were arrested by the Lebanese authorities. But why not wait for investigations to be done first before politicizing the disaster? Who will benefit from this kind of politicization? You see, the situation in Lebanon is a little bit complicated. There is, you can't say there is one decision in the Lebanese government. There are many agencies, many administrations, many uh, uh, even security agencies. So any one of them would put, uh, would say that the other one was responsible for this delay in investigation. I think this delay itself should be a question to be answered by the uh, investigation. Why did this uh, amount of uh, nitrate stay in this, uh, uh, in, the, in the port of Beirut all these times without taking uh, rid of them? This should be answered. I wrote today a small article saying that this is a, 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 splitting, a sleeping uh, uh, any place like we say sleeping cells mm -hmm. uh, for terrorism this was a sleeping depot for uh, this uh, maybe to be used nitrate. against the people in Lebanon when the time comes in, uh, exactly mm -hmm. and when the time comes and it seems that the, the time has come mm -hmm. and I think August all the people were saying that something would happen in August. Uh, and It's something in our guts. Every Lebanese who lived through the explosion mm. says that their gut tells them this is not an accident. Yet angry demonstrators took to the streets, rightfully took to the streets of Beirut, demanding justice. However, they ended up destroying what was left intact of Beirut, leading to the murder of one police officer uh, near the uh, Lebanese parliament, while others took to the ministries, destroying documents which would have been incriminating uh, for the elite that has been ruling the country, that ruled this country towards this disaster to begin with. Is this a wise move to be done right now by the rioters? I don't think it's a wise move. I think in Lebanon, as I said before, the situation is complicated on the governmental level and on the popular level. Any group in Lebanon can call for some demonstrators that would raise slogans in its favor. I think Hezbollah can bring to the streets uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, demonstrating, supporting Hezbollah, supporting the uh, resistance in Lebanon. Now these are trying to create a crisis in the streets. They want to say that Lebanon is insecure. They are trying to say, to, to, to uh, blame Hezbollah for everything that's happening. They say that this government is the government of Hezbollah. Today, many ministers resigned from this government. What does this mean? This means that all the government is under the uh, orders of Hezbollah. They know that Hezbollah is part of the government, is part of the parliament, because Hezbollah is part of the Lebanese people. Mm -hmm. And nobody can deny this. Uh, but they want to say that 
this part of the people is dominating the whole people, which is not true at all, because if Hezbollah was really dominating the government, it, it would have been easy for him, for example, to accept the offers by the Iranian government to the Lebanese, which are in utmost need to this uh, to the support. Well, Mr. Mr. Bashur, we did listen to Prime Minister Hassan Diab saying that he will call for uh, possible early parliamentary elections um, as a first step to lift the country from this turmoil along the reeling economic situation. And now there's a possibility that the entire government will actually resign. But I mean, is the request for early elections to begin with really the only viable option to lift the country from this upheaval? Look, uh, I myself from the very beginning, I was part of a group that said that these elections did not represent really, in many ways, the Lebanese uh, people. Mm -hmm. And we were not for the law which, uh, by which the, gov the elections were uh, held. held. But now, I think any uh, early uh, election, I think it will be, uh, it will give the same results mm -hmm. and it will only delay any kind of reform. We well, should know, we should know that reform is not a foreign demand. Mm -hmm. Reform is the demand of the Lebanese people. Sure. And we think that by a government, by a regime which is reformed, which is against corruption, against misadministration, against negligence, I think this regime would be a support to the resistance Definitely, and, and definitely, and this was the case. But uh, this, this was the case. But we did see how uh, the U.S. interference in Lebanon stopped the Lebanese from actually trying to put uh, those responsible for the financial crisis, like Rad Salemi, for example, uh, under uh, accountability. How they protected him. But unfortunately, now we're out of time. I want to thank you very much, Mr. Man Bashur, former Secretary General of the Arab National Congress, for being with us discussing the latest in Lebanon after the blast. Please stay tuned next for more about the explosion in Beirut. International response to Beirut's disastrous explosion shows that there is a will to surmount the devastation impact of the crisis facing the Lebanese people. However, U.S. sanctions against Lebanon might even prevent this aid from reaching the government institutions. How will the international community be able to stand with Lebanon while the U.S. continues its foreign policy of bullying nations? Now to discuss this issue with us from Washington is Dr. Ziad Al-Hafiz, who is a political economist. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Ziad. Now, with the emergence of new challenges due to the latest devastating event in Lebanon, the entire international community is actually mobilizing to provide immediate humanitarian assistance much needed in the capital, uh, Beirut. But the U.S. sanctions against Lebanon, which are felt in the blockage of financial transactions, especially in banks in and out of the country, are still not eased. Will they be able to bypass these sanctions? Well, there is a will, there is always a way. That's a general thing. And I think if there is a genuine will to have these uh, 
uh, aid coming into Lebanon, not just the physical aid, but the financial aid, I think they will find a way. They can ease up the sanction if there is a will. That remains to be seen. But I think the problem now is much larger than marshalling this aid to Lebanon and also to what extent the, there is a, an official government ready to uh, receive such aid because, as you probably know, uh, we have a political crisis in Lebanon where the government is likely to resign or to uh, lose the confidence of the parliament. Mm -hmm. So that is a little bit murky in terms of the situation, and I'm not clear at this stage how this uh, whole aid operation is going to function. But if, if the government actually resigns in uh, Lebanon, does this mean that the aid would stop? It will still be received by Lebanon, but how? Uh, received by Lebanon who? Who in Lebanon will receive it? This well, Macron, the, the French president, uh, Emmanuel Macron, said that he will not be sending it to the government to begin with. He's going to be sending it to what he called the civil society. Well, that is even more problematic because the civil society, there are lots of question marks about it. What kind of civil society? Which are the organizations that are going to receive that aid? And this is a big problem. And uh, Macron may be, uh, may be full of good intentions, but he's not alone on the political scene in Lebanon, and there are other players. So I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to play out. That's mm -hmm. why I think it would be a huge mistake to try to bypass the government, no matter how misgivings one ha may have about this government. But I think uh, uh, they are going to face a lot of logistical problems, and I don't think the aid will flow uh, to the people who have really been suffering from the from the from the damage, if that's uh, the intent, because I'm not sure that the channels of distribution of that aid are there or will be able to, to achieve that kind of uh, aid or that, to channel that aid. I'm, a little, I'm, I'm quite skeptical at this stage. Well, Doctor, uh, how some observers in Lebanon are concerned that the international community's readiness to help might be preconditions. Th this is what we have been used to in Lebanon. Everything is preconditioned with certain political con uh, concessions from the Lebanese side. What might these preconditions be uh, if they actually exist? And uh, how can the Lebanese government, if there is a government, deal with those political requests? Well, I think uh, if the government falls, then there is no need to accept or refuse the conditions. It will be delayed or postponed until a new cabinet is formed. So uh, there are lots of questions that nobody can answer at this stage. It's a little bit uh, too difficult of a situation, and there are too many variables at play, and I don't think can, anyone can provide a satisfactory answer. So that's why I think it is very possible that the aid could be delayed because of that kind of a situation, unless they come up with a solution very quickly to either to postpone or freeze the movement of the falling down of the cabinet or the creation of a significant number of cabinet ministers. Uh, until that is taking place, I'm not sure any negotiation for the conditions or preconditions uh, attached to that kind of aid will be made available. So mm -hmm. I don't think uh, at this stage anyone can provide a a plausible answer. Anything can go.
Well, uh, Dr. Havas, after the uh, blast, we saw protesters, rioters on the streets of Beirut, uh, just half a mile from ground zero, destroying what was left of their capital. Will these violent uh, rioters affect the international efforts to assist Beirut out of this disaster? Or maybe this is exactly what the leaders of the international community wants to see in Beirut in preparation for a regime change that suits them rather than suiting the actual Lebanese people. Well, even if they, I mean, starting with the assumption that they want a regime change, the regime change requires a certain procedure. If the government falls, and or if the parliament uh, uh, is dissolved, there are certain steps that have to be undertaken, which I'm not sure there is anyone in the position to undertake them. For instance, should this government fall, who is going to replace it? That is an unknown. Should the parliament be dissolved by one reason or another? How are you going to hold new elections? And therefore, and, and then also the other question, under what law, you're going to, electoral law, you're going to hold it. So there are so many questions in place, and who is going to be in charge with you if there is no government and there is no parliament? So these are very, very difficult questions, and I'm not sure the so-called international community has any answer to it, mm -hmm. because they still need the fig leaf of legitimacy on the behalf of any Lebanese party to be able to undertake that part of the job. Well, Dr. Ziad, to look at the situation in a bit of positivity, if we can actually find any positivity here, we have Iran, Saudi Arabia, France, US, UK, and a lot of uh, Western, Eastern countries uh, among nations offering assistance and paying tribute to the victims. Do you think that this tragedy might actually bring this region to a calm instead of the constant tension that we have been facing in Western Asia? Well, there are conflicting objectives. I mean, those are those who oppose Lebanon and have been part of the blockage and siege of the economic siege of Lebanon do not want to see Lebanon fall. But at the same time, they are not in a position to calibrate the kind of pressure they would like to exert on Lebanon. Otherwise, uh, they would have done so. So today, I think they are, let's say, they have overreached, so to speak, in their economic siege of Lebanon. And Lebanon is about to collapse in terms of institutions and also in terms of society. So I'm not really sure that these people or these forces or countries that have been part of the problem are going to be able to be part of the solution. That remains to be seen. I mean, even if you want to give any positive spin on what is happening, governments, countries do not behave according to, let's say, moral standards. They behave according to what they believe are their immediate or strategic interests. And I'm not sure that these interests are going to be well served by their actions. And I'm not sure that they are prepared to revisit their policies that have led to that kind of a situation in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. So we are in an uncharted water at this stage of the game, even though in the medium and the long term, the situation or the outlook is much more positive. But for the immediate future, I think the outlook is very is quite grim. Well, well, it's going to get worse before it gets better. 
well, uh, that, that's uh, basically what we are uh, looking forward to. We need to get it, uh, to get things better uh, in our country in this disaster situation we are in. I want to thank you very much, Dr. Ziad Al-Hafiz, former Secretary General of the Arab National Conference and political uh, economist for joining us from Washington to talk about the latest humanitarian, international humanitarian assistance to Lebanon after the blast. Thank you for being with us and please stay tuned next week for more Amar Osman.